Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way towards a better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Design the Future podcast. It's good to be with you again this week. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. How you doing, Kira? How's I'm, life? I'm good. I'm doing well. Having it's, uh, you know, that time of year, end of one year, beginning of another when we're taking stock and making plans and all of those things. And I don't know, lots of looking back and looking forward. <laughs> Got yeah. Interesting time of year for that. So are you, are you a new year's resolution person? Is this happening for you? Um, I think my new year's, re- yes, a little once in a while. Last year, I gave up sugar for a couple months. That was Ooh, really right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. that was unadvisable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> now, you know, now, you know, <laughs> yes, yes. I tried that. Uh, no more for, of that for me. Um, but I do have some resolutions this year and many of them this year, I think are actually, I have some professional ones. I'm trying to, you know, just tighten things up, tune things up, be more focused. And, um, well, I'm really actually, to be fair, a lot of my resolutions are a little bit rooted in some of our things that some of our guests have said, because I've been so inspired by how many of our guests, um, have found a way in their careers to sort of strengthen their impact and, I want to do that. I want to do more of that. Diminish the noise and and strengthen the impact. Oh, I love that. That's a great one. Um, and it does. It does. I feel like we have learned a lot of lessons this year from people who have who have decided that for themselves and then like gone out and embarked on something. You know that. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Yep. I would never have known that that would that those people would have taken on. So it's. I love that. That's great. I'm excited for you. <laughs> we'll see if it works. I will. I can report back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I have decided not to have any New Year's resolutions this year. Um, based on um, so I have this wonderful executive coach who I've never talked about on the show before, but um. I feel like I should call her out uh, because she has a newsletter that people can subscribe to that they might enjoy. Her name is Laura Peck and she um, it's Laura Peck Consulting and in her newsletter this uh, this month, she talks about rather than having New Year's resolutions, thinking about two things that you can do for yourself that will keep you grounded and sort of happy and productive and you know in a good space and um so I one of them I think I know already that I'm already doing which means I don't have to change it I just get to continue doing it um and that's just going to the gym which I do now a lot um every day pretty much so like I got one and now I just have to think of another one thing that I'm going to do but it's not so much a new year's resolution as it is like making sure you're taking care of yourself and having it be a habit, um, something. So I love that. I think that's great, Lindsay. That's a really good one. So it's a, that's a different, um, sort of take on the resolution idea, but I love it, um, as a, a healthy habit to keep you grounded. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I like that one of them's already done. That's very, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> for sure. <laughs> I'm not, I don't think I have bandwidth to like learn a new instrument this year or anything. I've just always been really bad at New Year's resolutions. Very few of them have actually manifested for me. So I like the idea that I get to be like, well, you know, kind of made one two years ago and I'm still doing it. So that's good. I, I call that serious success. <laughs> yeah, right? Continuity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, frankly, it's just, um, it is enough to keep uh, like the, the role that I have in the world now with ILFI is enough for me to feel like I've got all the goals I need for 2022, all of yep. the, you know, I will feel successful at the end of the year if dot, dot, dot happens. Um, so sh yeah, I don't know. So um, <laughs> I'm feeling yep. like I don't need to overcommit there. Uh, that seems smart. That seems very wise uh, to have your, your um, goals be on the personal side to help you realize all those goals that you have in your new position. I mean, I say new, it's not brand new anymore, but it is still new. You know, it's, you're still, that's a yeah. new yeah. realm. It still feels new. It still feels new um, and still feels like, a, yeah, important to make sure I'm maintaining that balance. I'm sure that's true. Many people, when you take a new job and you're kind of, but you know, you have maybe the honeymoon phase uh, or whatever it is, the phase, the phase of the first few months. But when it starts to settle out, you kind of, that's the time to check yourself and make sure like, okay, is this stable? Can I handle this? Is this yeah. work? Do I like it? You know? Yeah, yeah, and make sure that the patterns, the new patterns that have established themselves are really like the ones that you want to be yeah. in place, right? Because I think that's another thing about newness is that sometimes a lot of things just line themselves up and then suddenly those are the patterns and you're like, wait, is that the best way to do this? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah exactly, exactly. Um, but I will say um, of all of the people that I have been, that have helped me stay grounded and oriented um, and and that have like helped me prepare myself for this new role. Our guest today is uh, has been one of one of my biggest um, supports and inspirations uh, in navigating my new job. So we, I'm very excited that we have her here with us today. Uh, and I'm just gonna transition this over to talking Perfect. about her. Um, so welcome to Lati Schlegel, who's with us from the Institute for Market Transformation. It's so great to be with here with you both today um, during this time of transitions. Yeah, uh, man, so, so many transitions. But yes, thank you, Lati. Um, we're so excited to have you. Um, so I, I, yeah, as said, I am particularly delighted today to, to have Lati with us. Just in case you don't know Lati, uh, she is the executive director of the Institute for Market Transformation, which is a national nonprofit organization focused on equitably decarbonizing buildings through co-designed policies and programs that increase widespread de demand and action for high-performing buildings. She is a longtime trailblazer in the energy efficiency field. Uh, IMT is now working to transform how Building performance is designed and approached to better incorporate community ownership and benefits, including improved health, resilience, affordability, and economic opportunity. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that because I've had the opportunity to work with them on some stuff recently, and I just think they are totally in the right headspace for what our world needs right now. Um, but before we talk about the work, 
Blasi, we wanted to hear a little bit more about your path. Um, just personally, can you tell us how and why you wound up in your role at IMT and what you've been up to that got you there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm going all the way back to the beginning. I was, I was born with dual citizenship and I moved around a lot as a child. So I grew up with a global mindset and perspective and really an understanding of the connection of consumption on people, livelihoods, and planet. So I think more than anything else, that is, is the experience that brought me to work in the built environment more than anything else. So um, just to give you a little bit more um, description around that, when I was really, really young, I lived in the UK and I was raised in part by my grandparents who grew up during the depression in a coal mining town in Wales. And my grandfather actually retired from a job operating the electric grid in part of the part of the country where we lived. And um, at the time, everything was pretty much powered by coal-fired power plants. And he was the first person who taught me about energy efficiency. Um, I remember him showing me a light bulb and telling me stories about our relatives who had black lung or risked their lives in the coal mines. Um, or stories of when he was a child running over the slag heaps um, to try to find coal for them to cook on. And somehow through all of those stories, he really cemented that connection for me between the energy that we use um, and our health, um, the health of the environment and people's livelihoods. So while it was coal mines for my family, I know it's cobalt mines or lead pipes or something else for, for other families around the world. So. Um, that, that's really been my, my grounding. And after college, my career decision-making was pretty guided by that and also by wanting a job where I could learn new things. And in my mid-20s, I was in Tanzania and seeing the impact of climate change on communities that were simultaneously experiencing the impacts of the AIDS epidemic. And at the time, I had been building toward a career in science or medicine, but just that experience really made me drawn to thinking about where could I focus my work um, that would more ad directly address the root causes of, of climate change, um, which was so connected to all of these other challenges. So by chance and connections, I turned back to energy. Um, I got an internship in the main governor's office of energy independence and security. And then from there, I went to work at a, at a state public utilities commission, which for those of you who don't know, the PUCs regulate utility companies and how they invest in and price things like energy, internet, water. Um, and that obviously has a lot of implications for buildings. So I, during that time, I learned about policy and its connection to business and to, to people in the community. Um, at the time, oil prices were really high and many Mainers were struggling with heating costs. So the, the PUC also ran energy efficiency programs and I was able to learn a bit about buildings and understand that they are responsible for a big part of our energy and carbon emissions. Um, so anyway, suffice it to say that I came to the built environment space because that's where these major issues seem to intersect and also because it's where people come together physically too. Um, and I've had the chance to work in government, in business, in the nonprofit sector at this intersection of climate and buildings. 
Um, and so today, uh, for, and for the last six years, I've been at IMT, which is a nonprofit organization that looks for opportunities for systemic change impacting our buildings, really at that intersection of business, government, and community. So uh, as you said, our mission is to drive demand for high-performing buildings. And what that specifically means is, you know, there's all, all of your listeners and many of your guests know, like industry leaders have a business case for high-performing buildings. But for those who don't um, already have that business case, they're, they're going to uh, start to pay attention to building performance when their investors ask for it, um, if tenants or buyers ask for it, or when policy requires it. And so IMT works on accelerating those levers and making it easier for everyone in industry to take action. Lati, I love hearing that description, and I'm so excited to learn more about the specifics of that work. But before we get to that, I did want to ask you one question, which is really about what advice you might give to people that are thinking about a career in the nonprofit world. Yeah, um, I, I think it's there's so many different types of nonprofits in our space. So there's, you know, the nonprofits that are kind of more direct service, even that own or manage buildings, um, community organizing nonprofits, industry facing nonprofits like associations for professionals, or nonprofits that are addressing social and environmental challenges more sy systemically as, as IMT is. Um, so for anybody who's interested in work in nonprofits, there's so much opportunity. And my one piece of advice is to talk to people um, who work in nonprofits in the areas that you think you're most interested in. And I also just wanted to make the point that you actually don't have to have a career in nonprofits. Even if you work in business or government in this space, there are lots of ways to get directly involved with nonprofits in the space via partnership or in an advisory or board capacity. So I hope everybody considers getting involved in, in a nonprofit in some way. That's a great point you make actually. And, and it would be especially useful for those who might be interested in, you know, or thinking about shifting their career that direction, but a way to sort of just get more involved from the outside first and, and see a little bit more about what that's like. Um, well, so to, to shift over to your work directly, um, we like to ask our guests, um, what are you most proud of accomplishing in your work life? I often say that um, social and environmental change and addressing climate change equitably takes action from all of us. And so, maybe a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I think <laughs> I'm most proud of my work to build paths to better business policy and ultimately better outcomes for people um, in ways that can bring people with very different perspectives together. So today I'm a co-founder and board member of a company called Accountable that helps people find companies that share their values by making social and environmental performance information about companies accessible to people in their daily lives. And then I'm also really proud of the work um, at IMT, uh, supporting colleagues and partners to bring those different perspectives on the industry together. It's like that um, parable of the blind man and the elephant, that these perspectives are needed. And if you don't bring all of these different perspectives together, you can't see the whole picture or really craft a vision and a, a path forward to widespread change in how we design, build, operate, and invest in buildings. Okay, well, 
there's so many things we could talk about there. I, I, we could talk about accountable more. I feel like hopefully people can just Google that and look into it because there's, um, there's a lot of exciting stuff happening on that side too. We should have mentioned it in your bio. I'm sorry that we didn't, but that's a whole nother side gig. I'm not surprised. Um, so yeah, so what I want to talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing at IMT, because I had the opportunity to work with you all this past year. And to your point about sort of bringing people together, I guess I've, I've been really impressed at the degree to which you are focusing on um, positioning yourselves within a larger community of organizations and people working for structural change in a more intersectional way. So I'm hoping you can you can tell us a little bit about what has been on your mind or on the, your organization's mind um, in the past couple of years as you think about the work you wanna be doing. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed working with you, Lindsay, on just sort of envisioning some of the changes that are needed in the real estate industry to meet the challenges over times. Um, and I think a lot of that work is kind of reflective of where we have been focusing and, and paying attention. I think climate change is here um, and its impacts are being borne most starkly and directly by communities of color, um, people who live near industrial sites, people without a lot of resources, um, the elderly. And when you, when you take combine that reality with centuries of policy and business practices that have segregated people in America into unequally resourced buildings and communities with very different vulnerabilities, um, you see like needs very differently <laughs> um, than, than how you might've seen them in the past. So we need air conditioning where we didn't need it before. Um, the air quality concerns are different than they were a uh, hundred years ago. And while our knowledge of how to build and renovate buildings to address these challenges is there, our policy and business norms have not really caught up to those realities. So. Um, coming to grips with this for our organization has really me meant and kind of led us to a few, few things. First, that we need to design the business and policy solutions with those members of our community who are experiencing the health, environmental, and economic impacts of climate change at the center of the design process um, and with a deliberate voice. Um, and our uh, belief is that designing with frontline communities at the center will will lead to a design that will work for class A office owners as much as it would for um, for any other building. Um, we've also come to really reflect and realize that we need to renovate a lot of our buildings a lot faster than we do today if we're going to address and adapt to climate change and that we need to focus systemic change in how we invest in and regulate the build environment to focus on performance and long-term benefits rather than just inputs or a checklist. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know you've got me on that one. And we've talked actually a lot of guests over the past couple of years about, about just this pace and sort of scale of retrofits and like the, the work, the incredible work that has to go into um, backcasting from like the Paris courts or something like that, or figuring out what it is even that we're trying to aim for. And then like, 
settling on the pace of change. Um, I've just been so inspired by you all and how how you approach that and the focus that you take to, I don't know, I guess it's in part that um, I wanna point out like your organization doesn't come from the background of architecture. It's really coming from the background of policy um, or existing buildings in, in a sense as, as those who build new buildings would call them. Um, and that, that has been such a strength that it enables you to think at that scale of like, okay, we've got to pick up the pace. We've got to change the approach that we take to um, to creating policy so that it actually works. Um, it's just, it's refreshing. Um, and in particular, I want to talk about building performance standards which you all have been leaders in, um, in pushing for and helping uh, cities and states to consider. Um, can you talk about that trend a little bit and the work that you've done there? Yeah, sure. So building performance standards are a type of policy that focus on the performances of buildings and of, of existing buildings, as you say. So they, they fundamentally, they group buildings by type and um, use and set targets for things like air quality or energy and climate impact that all buildings need to meet over a period of time. So they're designed with this idea of driving investment in building performance, um, which would lead to outcomes of things like renovating more buildings faster. And so generally speaking, we see this um, trend in policy across eight cities and states which have adopted these types of policies to date. And there are many, many more who are interested in them. But we're also at the same time seeing a real deep interest in equitable policies, which means designing the policymaking process itself to put frontline communities at the center of the, of the policy design process. Um, and when you do that, you can build the infrastructure for community government and businesses to actually deliver building renovations and deliver, deliver renovations to the people who most need them. Um, and also to address other intersecting concerns like affordability and displacement um, at the same time that you're improving buildings. So um, the focus on performance really um, changes the actions and it also um, starts to align the broader impacts and benefits with financial performance. Because when you look at just financial payback, you look at much, much shorter time horizons. So I think this is a significant trend because it does really focus on performance. And then I also think we're just like in this kind of unique and maybe a little precarious moment where um, investors say that they will are very interested in taking climate action and prioritizing investments accordingly. And people need them to do that. Um, and so this policy push is really a call to action for everyone in the industry, um, obviously the policymakers, but um, also the people across the, the country who are feeling the impacts of climate change um, and the investment community to really invest in the performance of our buildings so that we can protect everyone in the face of climate change. Yeah, I love that. And I, I guess it's just because it's such a important reframing of the role that buildings um, can play in bringing about a better world. It's like, I, I like thinking about the notion that people just deserve to live in a good building. 
and policies don't always haven't always um, weighed in on that. Um, you know, it's only in very limited ways. And building performance standards is this incredible just landscape of opportunity to say maybe maybe that's what we need right now is a set of standards that say you know if you live here if you've got a roof you know we you should have a roof over your head and this is how this is how well it should be insulated in this and, and it shouldn't have any chemical toxic chemicals in it and you should be safe you know like just right basic societal expectations in some ways um yeah i'm i'm so excited about and just i think the way that you all are framing that which we're going to talk a little bit more about in terms of um the ways that you're centering front frontline communities in the work it's 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 exciting okay so tell us um specifically is there a project that you're working on right now that you want listeners to know about anything anything exciting and new yeah i mean i think we were just in such a unique moment of opportunity as we're as we're sort of kicking off 2022 um where so many people in the industry know so much about how to address um, climate change and how to improve buildings and so many businesses have made a commitment to climate action and know actually where to focus on shifts in business practices that will make an impact um, and so I think what I'm most excited about is that there's this moment of alignment and where the those bigger kind of industry business shifts um, and interests are coming together at the same time that federal government agencies and local governments want to spur investment in our communities for climate action. Um, more than 30 cities and states are interested in seeing some sort of building retrofit policy that center frontline communities and benefit everyone. Um, and I think when we I'm most excited about the opportunity to really harness that and um, move all of us um, towards this paradigm of performance. Um, I, I feel really strongly that as we're going into the new year, this is really our moment as an industry and as a movement, and we need to mobilize around actually getting it done together. Ati, that's so interesting the way you frame that. And I'm just, I'm really intrigued with your work at IMT. It seems to me that it is such a, it's it's like a much more sophisticated version of what many of us in the movement have been sort of wanting for a long time. You know, we want the whole system to shift, not just a few people over in the corner doing innovative green things and, and hoping that those sort of somehow impact everyone. We want the whole thing to shift. And that seems to be the focus. And I love how you frame center frontline communities and benefit everyone. That is such a great encapsulation of that. Um, so I do want to shift just shift gears a little bit um, and talk about th that the movement or the industry. So I mean, the idea really is that the green building industry is often also thought of as a movement. Um, but we don't always really function quite that way. And so I'm just wondering, where do you think the opportunity is today for professionals to be sort of activated in this movement as it is? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it can be, as you say, such a fragmented and siloed industry. And on one hand, 
that's um, like all of that work of people who have been focused throughout the industry on the pieces that they're focused on has in, enabled us to like be ready for this moment. Um, but I think it's really a moment to do three things for anybody, any sort of professional in the, in this industry that wants to really see that big change as a movement. Um, I would say first, and maybe obviously re-examine what your company or organization can do that will really shift your business practice to greater inclusion and social and environmental performance. Secondly, like what is your role in policy advocacy? Um, we're in a moment where a lot of voices are needed um, to speak to how we get there who might not be active in that conversation today. And so for, for anyone who's involved in the industry, just thinking through like, how can you get involved in policy advocacy? And then thirdly, I think we needed to make a concerted effort to break down silos between parts of the industry among government business and nonprofits, community members, um, and, and really work together. So um, yeah, we see, we see silos coming and breaking them down and coming into play across all of the work whether it be policy or um, spurring investors to take action in ways that they don't today. I love that. Um, I think it's so interesting that you use the, that you referenced silos. I think that shows up again and again, both in companies, across industries. It is such a challenge for this whole movement in so many ways. And in government too. I mean, we really have a problem with that. We have a problem um, so many, so many elements of progress in these, in this realm are stymied by those silos. And so there's a whole, it's just sort of like a whole uh, area of activity, it seems like. I wondered if you could say a little bit more though about um, in the context of that work that you were, the, the opportunity of the moment that you were just describing about the opportunity for the philanthropic community. Yeah. Um, in the nonprofit world, we we often even see silos in the the funding in the philanthropic community between like health, climate, housing, poverty alleviation, or even between more of that kind of technical market and policy organizations like mine and community organizations that are advocating for change on the ground. And I think the opportunity for the philanthropic community is to break the silos, look for um, opportunities to invest in silo-breaking work and coalitions that are going to mobilize lots of different voices in the same direction at the same time. Can you say more about what it looks like for that community to lead? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I think having having the sort of centering frontline communities in the in the in tackling climate change um, can, can both hit on the kinds of processes that I described before of like inclusive um, policy design and, um, and also imagine what does it actually look like for inclusive, um, inclusive programmatic design and being able to implement all like so that the benefits of building retrofits are flowing to the different members of the community and businesses in the community. So, um, and then in addition, I think there's like, just thinking in, in, in terms of real estate, there's so 
much opportunity for real estate companies even to focus on inclusive processes. So a good example of this is like inclusive development where developers are involving the community members in the design or renovation process to really surface what are the needs in the community? How can we ensure that community members can afford to live in, in the neighborhood, but also afford a cup of coffee. And I think that community of practice has really grown over the, the last couple of decades as well. And so there's just, uh, there's just so many opportunities for us to really like shift our thinking and our actions in that way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's great to hear that you're seeing some progress there. Um, and when you, I mean, I, that, that makes me think too. I mean, when you look at various other areas of progress that we've made and, and the work that we still have to do. I mean, overall, how do you, how do you think we're doing? How are you feeling about it? Um, you've caught me on an optimistic feeling day. Kira, but, um, <laughs> honestly, if I think about like 10 years ago, where did I think we would be? I thought we would be much further along this process of moving money towards solving intersectional, intersecting sort of social and environmental challenges, um, as well as profit at this time. But um, I do think that generally speaking, we've got all of these building blocks and we've learned so much. And so really what's, what's most on my mind is, is activating to, to meet that potential of really, yeah, investing, investing in our buildings in the way that make that we need to invest in them um, today. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm glad that we caught you on, on an optimistic day. And I, I see that, I see that potential for sure. Um, well, I, there's a, we are, we have so much more to talk about, but I wanna ask you, um, I guess before we ask you our last question, um, are there, examples or things that you look to that are sort of the areas, the corners that you're, that you like to look at most out there in the world, especially like this inclusive real estate development, like are there, are there sort of stories that you think people, our listeners should be looking at that are examples of where inclusive development is happening, where inclusive process is happening in interesting ways, like any shout out specifically around those issues? Yeah, some, I mean, some of my inspirations have come from um, developers who actually have, have recently come to, to join the IMT board because that's how much I, I enjoy uh, <laughs> learning from them. Um, so one example is um, Carlton Brown and he has been, he has ha had a philosophy of inclusive development for like 40 years. And he has many, many stories of the process um, in, in cities as far reaching as um, New York, Minneapolis, Atlanta, Birmingham. So he's got like this whole great philosophy around, around what this looks like. And I think um, another, like one of the things that he often points to, like one of the bigger trends right now, I think is that people don't really trust that the environmental or social performance of companies, right? There's a big 
kind of question around like, are people greenwashing or are people, um, you know, uh, socially washing? I don't really know what that term is, but, <laughs> um, but I think like one of the things that I always think of that really uh, fits in with this performance theme is like, how do you actually develop the measures of progress and how can you involve the community in the development of those measures? Like, so you have a way of measuring financial return, right? But how are you measuring over time the social impact of your building or your portfolio um, or measuring the environmental impact of that. And we've, we've, we've gone through the work of setting up these frameworks for environmental, social and governance of, you know, performance of, of companies. And so like, how are you showing progress against that performance? And how are you involving the, the community in which you're developing or operating your building in defining what those measures should be for you? Hmm. I love that. Um... And I hope it's, I think, I think one of the things that's so critical here is like, I don't know, I guess it's the, it's the difference between um, real estate operations, ownership of buildings and some, I, I think it's easier for people, probably many of our listeners to understand social impacts of the construction industry. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to make sure it's clear to everyone we're talking about the impacts of, of the built world um, more broadly and um, not just the moments in which we create something uh, we, when we build something. But um, I think it's this more profound question that you're asking about the metrics of success of, of, of the built world as it continues to exist in our lives and as yeah. it impacts our lives. And there's just so much there that we, I, I don't, yeah, I, I, I have started following Carlton Brown on LinkedIn because he posts about this stuff sometimes. And uh, I would encourage other people to as well, but it's, we need more people thinking about that stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it really makes me think, I think about measures and metrics a lot as it relates to um, the kinds of awards we give in the architectural community and um, the you know AIA Committee on the Environment has has a, a lot of measures and metrics around its award which it has used to try to sort of distinguish itself from from awards that are really just about aesthetics and but but there's a there's an equitable communities measure in there and the and it is very difficult <laughs> we have been struggling actually to to strengthen what the metrics are, especially given the con constraints of like an, an isolated project and what you can measure over a certain short period of time, right? It's it's a real challenge and it's it's worth a lot more discussion. Um, yeah, and Ed, to Lati's point, with community members that are impacted. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, um, we could clearly talk about that a lot longer, but we should probably wrap up. So Lati, we want to wrap up with asking you this last question that we ask all of our guests um, about who you're most inspired by these days. So uh, we, I'm excited that we got a couple of those um, ideas about Carlton Brown and, um, you know, just excited to hear who else, who else is inspiring you? What else do you look to, to learn? Yeah. Um, I draw a lot of inspiration from 
women in my community. I live in Washington, DC. Um, and there's, I'm really fortunate that I interact on a daily basis with women from all sorts of walks of life. And I have really tried to take on the practice every day of looking for someone in my community and, and, and whether that's like someone who's just working so hard to take care of their families and going the extra mile to provide opportunities for their child or advocating for better schools or more affordable housing in the community or um, figuring out a way to make sure that companies are paying women and men equitably in a manufacturing company or figuring out how to reduce fossil fuels on construction sites. There's those, each of those examples represent a woman that I looked to in the last week. Um, and to, and I just kind of think of like, okay, well, if she can do that, I can show up with energy and humility and just do my part in this big, uh, this big world we're living in too. Wow. I love that. I kind of feel like we could have, like, we could have called this podcast if she can do that, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, it's so, it's such a profound way to guide the work. Yeah. Um, and I love that at practice. That's, that's amazing and inspiring. Makes me want to do the same thing here in my inspiring community of Oakland I'm sure it's like even just in my building there's probably yeah uh, so many of those uh lessons and people to know and to yeah get yeah, exciting great. yeah um well okay um thank you that is a beautiful way for us to end thank you Lati for being with us it's just been such a pleasure Thanks for talking with me um, today. And I, I draw a lot of inspiration from each of you too. So thanks for, for doing this podcast and, and showing all of the bright examples of women who are taking leadership roles in this space. Well, I will say what I have said probably too many times, everyone is getting tired of it, but it is absolutely our pleasure. <laughs> Indeed. We, yeah, Indeed. we have so much fun with it. Um, so yeah, on that note, thank you all. Um, that is it for us this week on the design, the future podcast. Thank you for listening, for being a part of the community and uh, thanks to all of our guests this year. And, um, yeah, we will be back soon. Please leave us a review on Apple. It helps. It matters. It helps people find us stay safe. We'll see you next time.